Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. This week, we have a special guest with us to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you to the worship team and, and to Mark uh, as well. It's always good to see my fellow New Hampshireite again. So uh, It is a blessing to be with all of you here. Uh, once again, I think this is my third time, and, and i got to say that you know, seeing you, it makes me feel like I'm coming home to family, and so that's just a, a, just a huge blessing uh, for me. Well, before we open up the word, uh, let us go before the Lord in prayer once again. Lord, we are thankful for the opportunity to gather together, to fellowship, to worship. And Lord, we know that one of the ways in which you give us to worship you is by the opening up of your word. And Lord, I pray that as I speak this morning, the words that come out of my mouth would not be my own, but rather they would be yours. We pray that it would be these, your words, that would cut deeply into our hearts. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I encourage you to open up your Bibles. We're going to be looking at the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 1, the first 11 verses, verses 1 through 11. Again, that is 2 Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. So if you want to open up your Bibles or your iPads or your iPhones or however it is that you get to that text, uh, that's the text that we're going to be looking at. Uh, as you're turning to that text, though, just by way of introduction, I want to share with you a story that I believe gets to the heart of what Paul is writing about here. I've shared this with you before, but about 14 years ago, my wife was diagnosed with cancer. And for those of you who don't remember when I shared that with you, let me just, uh, just uh, allow you to breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief and that she's been cancer-free for over 12 years now. And so we praise God uh, for that. But, but I remember going through that particular time, and she had just gone through a surgery, and we thought it was going to be completely successful. Everything seemed positive. And so we were in the surgeon's office for what we thought was going to be a routine appointment, just giving us the good news. She's clear. And I'll never forget sitting down and, and, and looking at the surgeon, and, and, and her eyes, the surgeon's eyes began to water up. And she said, I'm sorry, but it turns out we, we didn't get it all. There's more there, and we believe it spread to the bloodstream, and there was going to need to be chemotherapy, and there would be, I think it was three more surgeries after that. And we were just in a state of shock. Frankly, I, I, I really didn't know what the Lord had in store for my wife, what her future was. And I remember driving home from that appointment, and we happened to be driving by the church that we were attending at the time. I've actually later pastored that same church, but we were attending that church. And, and so we decided to pull in. It was a rather large church with multiple staff. And so we figured we would meet with some of the staff there and pray with them. Well, it turns out they had all gone to lunch. But there was a school administrator that was there. His name was Brian. And so we went into his office and we talked together and we cried together and we prayed together. But I'll never forget something that he had said as we were talking about what happened, some advice that he gave us. He says, never ask the question, why me? Anybody ever asked that question before? You know, why me? Lord, why our family? Why did this have to happen to us? Well, my friend's advice was actually 
pretty sound because the problem with the why me question is that it places our focus inwardly on ourselves at the very time when our focus needs to be on who God is, what he has done, his sovereignty in all things, and the truth that he is working in us and through us, even in our suffering, that all things might work together for good. Perhaps these past few years have been particularly stressful on you. We've gone through a global pandemic. We're facing runaway inflation, economic uncertainty. And perhaps for you, though, there's been something that's been even more personal that you have faced. Maybe the word cancer has come into your life or the life of a loved one. Maybe you faced a job layoff and you don't know what to do next. Or the stress of your current job is just becoming overwhelming. Or maybe it's some other heartache that has occurred in your family, perhaps a loved one facing an addiction and the pain and the worry and the stress, it just overwhelms you. Well, let me just say, if you've been through that or if you're going through that, let me share with you right now what the takeaway of this message is. It's that God has a divine purpose for you even through suffering. God has a divine purpose for you even through suffering. Now, don't get me wrong. God did not create suffering. When he created the world, it was announced, it is good. Suffering has come into the world because of the fall. We live in a fallen world. But nevertheless, God is able to use even suffering to do amazing things as he works in us and through us. And that's what Paul writes about here. So let's go through. I'm going to read this text in its entirety and then we'll unpack it verse by verse as Paul discusses this very subject. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 1, Paul writes this. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. I'm going to stop there for a moment because I want you to notice here that there is a title that is given at the very beginning of this text. Verses 1 and 2 are sort of an introduction. And there's a title that says, Paul, an apostle. That word apostle, it means sent one. And it references someone that God has authenticated to provide for us the very words of God. And so it is a reminder that as we are reading this, we are not merely reading Paul's word. We are, in fact, reading God's word here. Continues on his introduction to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in all Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he gets into the body of the letter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we are in with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. 
Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same suffering which we also suffer. Or, if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that you are partakers of the suffering, so also you will partake of the consolation. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivers us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. Verse 11, you also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. As I've mentioned before, if there's one takeaway that I want you to walk away with this morning, it is this. It is that God has a divine purpose for you, even through suffering. But as we unpack this text, instead of asking the why me question, we're going to ask a question that I believe is a game changer when it comes to dealing with suffering. It is the what question. It's what is God's divine purpose, even through the trials that I'm facing right now? Because here's the reality, and I've mentioned this to you before, but in a fallen world, we're going to go through difficult times. It's a guarantee. Job wrote in Job chapter 5, verse 7, Yet man is born unto trouble as surely as the sparks fly upward. Job knew something about trouble. Jesus, when he gathered together his disciples that evening before he was to be executed, he said this to them as recorded in John chapter 16, verse 33, In this world you shall have tribulation. You shall face distress. It's a guarantee. But in this text in 2 Corinthians Paul lists not just one, but five divine purposes in the trials that we face. The first purpose we're going to see as we go to, through verses 3 through the, the middle of verse 4, and it's to know God better. Then as we move from the middle of verse 4 to verse 5, we're going to see a second purpose, which is so that we could comfort others. Then, thirdly, as we look at verses 6 through 7, we're going to see that Paul tells us one of the purposes is so that others could be saved. Fourthly, in verses 8 through 10, Paul tells us that one of the reasons we go through suffering is to keep our minds on heaven, to give us an eternal perspective. And lastly, in verse 11, we're going to see that suffering draws us to pray. Now, let me say, if you're a note taker, and I'm actually watching a number of you, you're fervently writing notes, and you missed all those five divine purposes, let me just assure you, I'm going to go over them multiple times, so you'll have a chance to, to be able to write those down. But the first divine purpose for the trials that we face is so that we could know God better, the God of all comfort. 
Take a look with me at at verses 3 through the middle of verse 4, because here begins the body of our, our text. And here Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation. He begins with an interesting phrase here, that phrase, blessed be. Actually, in the Greek, it is the word that we get eulogy from, and it means to speak well of. And we oftentimes see this phrase in the Old Testament as Old Testament saints begin their worship and praise of God. They begin that with blessed be. Here we see Paul's praise grows out of his love for God, which we, as we're about to see, his love for God grows even further as Paul experiences suffering. Then I want you to notice that there are three titles that are given for God in this text. The first title is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This title is oftentimes referred to as the full New Testament title for God. God is no longer referred to as simply the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as he was in the Old Testament, but rather he's referred to as the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has redeemed you and who's redeemed me and is a reminder that he is the father of redemption. Then secondly, there's another title. Here Paul references God as the father of mercies. Now that word mercies, as it's used in this particular case, it literally means compassion. And what Paul is saying is God is where compassion resides. He is the origin of compassion. He's the source of compassion. See, we worship a God who has compassion and empathizes with our pain. Why? Because he knows something about that kind of pain. He saw his own son die the excruciating death on the cross. So we serve a God who knows something about pain. Lastly, we have a third title. Paul refers to them as the God of all comfort. That word comfort carries with it the idea of to come alongside and and to strengthen. And so what Paul is saying is God comes alongside. When does he come alongside us? Well, notice what it says in the text. In our tribulation, that word tribulation, it simply means as we're facing pressures in our distress, God comes alongside and strengthens us. And as Paul is describing who God is, let me just say his his description comes from experience. Now, I don't know about you, but but sometimes I, I hold Paul up as one who is almost unreal in his devotion to Christ and and to the gospel and to pure doctrine. But what, what Paul shares with us in this letter in 2 Corinthians is a very personable side of him. Because in this letter, he shares with us his griefs, his suffering, his weakness, even his depression. You say, Paul faced depression? Yeah, he did. The word despair, which can be translated as depression, is used nine times in this letter. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul shares with us that he's been through shipwrecks, he's been beaten, he's been stoned and left for dead, he's faced persecution, he's been robbed, he nearly starved to death. And what Paul is saying here is throughout all of that, 
here's what I've learned about God. I've learned that he's the father who redeems us even in our despair. He's the source of compassion. He's the God of all comfort, the one who comes alongside us. J. Oswald Sanders, who was the director of China Inland Missions in the 1950s and 60s, he said this, he said, we must get away from the idea that deliverance from trial is the highest form of spiritual blessing. We learn more about God in a few days in the fiery furnace than we would learn from years out of it. Several years ago, my wife and I, um, when I, we were in North Carolina, and I was going to, to seminary, Southern Evangelical Seminary, we met a very, very dear uh, couple. Their, their names were, were Jeremy and Wanda, and Jeremy was actually the youth pastor of the church we were attending at the time with Wax Waxaw Bible Church. And when we had met them, they had gone through the worst year of their life. See, they had just lost their, their five-year-old son, Carter. A year prior to that, they had learned that you know, he was diagnosed with cancer, and they went through a year of, of tears, of praying, of fasting, of, of chemotherapy treatments, only to have their son be torn away from them. And this happened just before we had met them. Two weeks after their son Carter's death, Jeremy began a sermon series at Waxhaw Bible Church. And you'll never guess what the topic of the sermon series was. It was on the goodness of God. And he said he'd learned more about the goodness of God in the past year than he had learned in all his prior years to that occurrence. See, Paul is able to praise God here because he's been through the fire. And through the fire, he's really gotten to know who God is, the one who redeems, the father of compassion, the God of all comfort. Five divine purposes in the trials that we face. The first purpose is to allow us to know God better, the father of compassion, the God of all comfort, the one who comes alongside us. The second purpose is so that we can be a comfort to others. Take a look at the middle of verse 4 to verse 5. It says, God comforts us. Why? That we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Notice in the beginning of the text, there's a very important word. It is the word that. And when you see the word that in the New Testament, that's actually a good word to circle because oftentimes what follows is a purpose statement. And so what Paul is saying is, here's the purpose both for the struggles we face, but also the comfort that God gives us through those struggles. And it's that we might be able to comfort others. Paul is saying, look, it's because of the struggles I face that I can comfort you through your struggles. You know, when our church in New Hampshire, when they found out about my wife's uh, cancer, they, they, really, they really loved on us, and, and they came alongside us, and they provided meals. We had food we didn't know what to do with, and they would, they would come, and, and they would say, hey, can we mow your lawn? Can, can we help out around the house? What is it that we can do? And they were just such a huge blessing. But, but can I be candid with you for a moment? Sometimes the conversations we would have with those that were trying to bless us were a little bit awkward. And it was because they didn't really know what to say. They hadn't been through what we had been through. 
But there were some women in the church, and it seemed like they just kind of came out of the woodwork. And they shared with us, you know, we had the same kind of cancer. And I remember one 80-year-old woman, and, and, and it was something that happened, I think it was like 50 years ago. And just sharing with us, you know, what they had gone through, and, and this is what happened. But, but most importantly, here's what God did. And he'll do that for you as well. And that was a real comfort to us. Why? Because they'd been through it. They'd been through the fire. And so whatever you're going through right now, maybe it's a struggle. Maybe it's a heartache. Maybe it's even fighting off an addiction. God is able to use the trial that you are facing right now so that you will be able to strengthen others later. See, God can turn the heartache you're facing into an opportunity to encourage and to minister and to love on others in the future. Five divine purposes for the trials that we face. Number one, the first purpose is to allow us to know God better. The second purpose is to comfort others. And the third purpose is so that others could be saved. Take a look at verse 6 and 7. In fact, Paul actually repeats himself. You'll actually see the same phrase being used twice, where he says, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation. What does it say here? Salvation. Now, commentators have actually disagreed a little bit in terms of exactly what Paul means when he uses the word salvation here. Some have suggested he's talking about our initial salvation when we place our trust in Jesus Christ and we, 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 we are justified, we're made right in the eyes of God. Others say, actually what he's referring to here, because he's talking to people who are already saved, they would argue, is he's referring to what we sometimes refer to as sanctification, that process in which God makes us holy, that, that process in which we grow in Christ. And I think looking at Paul's case, as Paul has experienced suffering, We've seen this, both cases happen to people that were around Paul. And so it's very possible that Paul may have both concepts in view here. I think of the very beginning of the book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter 1, as Paul is introducing himself, and he's telling those that are in Philippi that he's under house arrest in Rome. And as he's under house arrest in Rome, there are those in Rome and they're, they're preaching the gospel, uh, but, but they're, they're, there's a fear that's there. But Paul has been able to encourage them, even as he's preached with boldness under house arrest, for them to preach with boldness. And, and so because of Paul's suffering, there's some Christian growth that has occurred among the believers that were in Rome. But also, I think of Acts chapter 16, and, 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 and Paul and Silas, they were arrested for something that they didn't do, and, and they're in a jail in Philippi. And they're there in stocks, and what does it say in chapter 16? That it's midnight. And rather than, than complaining, we see Paul, it says that they are, they are praising God and they are singing hymns. And the jailer in Philippi hears that. And you know the rest of the story. There's an earthquake that happened. But that jailer says, I want what they have. And so he asks the question. It's recorded in Acts chapter 16, verse 31. The jailer asked Paul and Silas the question, what must I do to be saved? And what we learn is because of 
Paul's attitude and Silas's attitude through suffering. Not only was the jailer saved, but in fact, his entire family was saved. A few years ago, I got a call from a young lady that was in our church in New Hampshire. Her mother, Rose, had been diagnosed with cancer for the second time, and this time it was believed it was going to be terminal. And she wasn't a believer, and so she called and asked, hey, you know, could we visit her mom? And so I called my wife, Nancy, and I said, Nancy, you've been through what she's been through. Could you give Rose a call? And so she, she, she called Rose, and the two of them, they hit her off immediately. And Nancy shared some of the struggles that they went through and that she's gone through. And, and, and Rose, they were able to sort of compare notes. And we didn't even have to ask to come over. Rose said, hey, would you mind, could you come over for coffee sometime? And, we, and she said, sure. And so we made it, it was about a two-hour drive. And so we, we drove to, to her house. And we just had a wonderful time together. And, and uh, once again, Nancy and her shared some of their experiences with cancer. But, but more importantly, Nancy had shared with her how God had brought her through it. And at the end of our conversation, I remember asking Rose, I said, you know, Rose, I know this is terminal, but we have a Savior who has promised eternal life. And I asked her if she would like to place her trust in Jesus Christ. And she said, yeah, I think I would. And so we prayed together, and she accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior and we stayed in touch with her for the next couple of months, and she got involved in a church that I had recommended to her and, and a prayer group. But, but I got a call, it was six, month, six months afterwards, it was from her son-in-law, and, and he said, Pastor Joel, mom went to be with the Lord. Would you do her funeral? And I said, well, of course I would. And so I drove up to that area again, and there was a funeral home where there was family gathered, and I remember sharing out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this promise for all believers. Where, O death, is thy victory? Where, O grave, is thy sting? And we rejoiced because we knew that Rose was face to face with the Savior. You know, and if you were to ask my wife if a year of cancer and chemotherapy and three operations, was that all worth it? she would say yes because you see because of Nancy's cancer there is a family in our church in New Hampshire that knows their mother is face to face with the Savior. Johnny Erickson Tata who as a teen became a quadriplegic after a diving accident once wrote this she said you were made for one purpose and that is to make God real to those around you. The reality of God's power, his love, and his character are made very, very real to a watching world when we trust him in our pain. You never know what God is going to do through your trial. He may very well use your trial to bring someone else to the Savior. And let me tell you, when that happens, it'll all be worth it. Five divine purposes in the trials that we face. First purpose is to allow us to know God better. The second purpose is so that we can comfort others. The third purpose is so that others can be saved. And the fourth purpose is to keep our minds on heaven. In other words, to give us an eternal perspective. 
Notice what Paul writes in verse 8. He says, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were all burdened beyond measure above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Paul here, he refers to a, a trouble or tribulation which was beyond the human ability to bear, a trouble that caused him to despair of his life. Now, commentators have disagreed what the specific trouble was. The reality is it's likely that those in Corinth were familiar with the situation, and so he's kind of vague here in terms of referencing what this trouble. Some have suggested that, that maybe he had contracted some sort of a disease that was thought to be terminal. Others... Uh, maybe referencing persecution that he was going through. We don't know, but whatever it was, it forced him to renounce all hope of survival. He despaired even of his life. But then notice what he writes in, in verse 9. He says, yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that, there's that important word of that again, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Verse 10, who delivered us from such great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust. He will still deliver us. Notice that word that again. There's a purpose statement. The reason for our trial. This happened that. The reason for our trial was so that we wouldn't trust in ourselves. We wouldn't focus on the temporal, but we would trust in God and his eternal promises. You see, suffering reminds us that we live in an abnormal world. We're not living in God's original creation, but rather we are living in a fallen world. And certainly these past few years have been a reminder of that. And suffering helps us to, to loosen our grasp on this temporal fallen world as we long for a world to come. It gives us an eternal perspective. Remember a number of years ago, visiting my, my grandmother, I was very close to her. She was just a wonderful believer, and she lived in Florida. I remember as I would go down and visit her in Florida, I'd always see her five in the morning. She'd get up early, and she'd have her, her, her Bible on her lap, and she'd be doing her devotions. But she suffered from macular degeneration, a disease of the eyes, and eventually it, it got so that she became completely blind. And uh, she shared with me how terrible it was because she was no longer even able to read her Bible. And so we bought her the Bible on uh, CDs. We got her a CD player, and she was all excited about that. But the last time I, I visited her, uh, she had moved into a nursing home. And I remember asking her how she was doing. And she said, I'm just doing fine, Joel. I really can't see anything anymore. But I want you to know something, Joel. There's going to be a time very soon when I'm going to be face to face with the Savior and I'm going to see him with perfect eyesight. See, our suffering reminds us that we serve an all-powerful, omnipotent, and great God who can and will raise the dead. And it reminds us as believers who live in this fallen world that this is not our home. We are citizens of heaven. Five divine purposes in the trials that we face. Number one, the first purpose is to allow us to know God better. The second purpose is to comfort others. The third purpose is so that others could be saved. The fourth purpose is to keep our minds on heaven, to give us an eternal perspective. And the fifth purpose is to draw us 
to pray. Take a look at verse 11. Here, here's how Paul closes this section off. He says, You also helping together in what? In prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. See, suffering ought to draw us to pray. Not long ago, I, I came across a story in the Sunday school times. It was about a little girl by the name of Mary, nine years old. And at the age of nine, she became very sick and was growing rapidly worse. And after talking to the girl's father, the surgeon who was about to perform an operation on her says, my dear, a light operation is going to be needed. But before I do that, I need to put you to sleep. And so this little girl who knew her father wasn't saved and her mother was homesick said to the surgeon, well, before I go to sleep, I always say my prayers. And so the surgeon said, well, do what you must. And so she got by that hospital bed and she grasped her little hands and, and she started to pray. And, and here's what she said. She said, oh, Jesus, you know where I am. You know that mama is sick at home. Bless dear papa, my Sunday school teacher, this surgeon, all for Jesus' sake. You know, for the dad, it was too much for him to take. He had to excuse himself. He went into a nearby waiting room and he surrendered himself to Jesus Christ. The surgeon had remarked afterwards, I had not prayed for 30 years, but that night I got on my knees and I prayed for mercy. Suffering ought to draw us to pray. The author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne room of grace, that we might obtain mercy and grace to help in our time of need. You know how we come to the throne room of grace? We come to the throne room of grace through prayer, that we might receive help and mercy and grace in our time of need. You know, in times of war, a military strategist will tell us that you never want to take your enemy head on. It's so much better to encircle your enemy because when you encircle your enemy, you cut off their supply lines. And when you cut off their supply lines of food and ammunition, you cut off their ability to fight. You know, I think too many of us, as we go through trials and we go through suffering, we cut off our own supply lines. Because we start to ask the why me question. Lord, why did you have to do this? Why our family? Why me? And we become discouraged and we cease praying. And when we cease praying, we allow Satan to cut off our supply lines to God's grace and mercy and help at the time that we need it most. Don't let him. Don't cut off your own supply lines. Our suffering needs to draw us to pray. Five divine purposes in the trials that we face. Number one, first purpose is to allow us to know God better. The Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, the one who comes alongside us and strengthens us. Number two, the second purpose is to comfort others. Third purpose is that others might be saved. The fourth purpose is to keep our minds on heaven, to give us an eternal perspective. And the fifth purpose is to draw us to pray. Look, here's the application. Here's what I want you to understand. In whatever trial you're facing right now or, or, or will face, God has a divine plan and purpose for you. And you can trust him in that divine plan and purpose. 
The beginning of this text states that God is the father of the one who's already redeemed us. He's the father of compassion. He's the God that comes alongside and strengthens us. And we need to remember when we go through difficult times that we serve a God who is omnipotent, meaning he's all-powerful and he's more powerful than anything that we could possibly fear. And we need to remember that we serve a God who is omniscient. He knows all things and he knows what's best for us, even and especially during our time of trial. And we need to remember that we serve a God who is omnipresent, meaning he's present everywhere, but more importantly, he's present during your time of need. And we need to remember that we serve a God who is omnibenevolent, meaning he is all loving and he loves you so much that he gave his only son to die on the cross for you and for me. And because of who God is and what he has done, you can trust him through the most fiery trials. And when you do, you will see God work in amazing ways. Now, as I've been sharing with you, I've primarily been sharing with you those who have already placed your trust in Jesus Christ. But I don't know all of you. I don't know your walks individually. I don't know where you are spiritually. And so there may be one here, maybe you've been coming to this church for some time, but you haven't really placed your trust in Christ. You haven't really made that decision yet. And so if that's you, let me just share with you some things specifically for you. I want to share with you three things that we see in the scriptures. Number one, we see the scriptures talks about a perfection. Number two, it talks about a problem. Number three, it talks about a promise. First, the perfection. The perfection is who God is. Bible tells us he's a perfectly holy, righteous, and just God. In fact, in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse, verse 13, it says that God is, is so holy he cannot even look upon sin. But that brings us to the problem. Problem has nothing to do with who God is, but has everything to do with who we are. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That word sin is merely an, it's an archery term. Someone tries to, to shoot an arrow at a, at a target and it missed the bullseye, they yell, sin, it missed the mark. All of us have missed the mark in our pride, our selfishness, our jealousy, our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. We've missed the mark of who God is. And therefore, because God is perfectly holy, righteous, and just and cannot have anything to do with sin, and, and we're not, we are naturally separated from him. And that separation is described further in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, when Paul shares with us this, he says there are wages for sin. That word wages is basically just means this is the result of our sin. And it says the result is death. And when he's talking about death there, he's not talking about a physical death, but rather he's talking about an eternal separation from God in a place called hell. Why? Because God's perfectly holy, righteous, and just, and we're not. We're separated from him. But that verse doesn't end there, and I'm so glad it doesn't. And that brings us to the promise because afterwards, there's a very important conjunction. It's the little word, but, and I'm so thankful for that word. The wages for sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. God loves you so much, and he loves me so much that he gave his only son to die on the cross. He took the punishment that we deserved. He died that we might live. We're going to be celebrating that in a moment as we celebrate communion together. He died that we might live, and he's given it to us as a gift. But like any gift, you have to receive the gift. You say, how do I receive the gift? 
I mentioned that Philippian jailer who asked the question in Acts chapter 16, verse 30, what must I do to be saved? The answer comes in verse 31. And Paul and Silas simply say this, wait for it. Believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That word belief, it means to trust. It means to trust in Jesus Christ and who he is, that he's the God of the universe who rose from the dead. And to trust in what he did, that he died on that cross to save us from our sins. He died for you and for me. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for the truths of this text. Lord, we're not, we know we're going to go through tough times. We've seen that experientially. And you've warned us about it through your scripture. But we're thankful for the truth, Lord, that you are sovereign even through those difficult times. And Lord, you can turn the most horrific things into just something amazing. And we're thankful that we can trust in you in that. Lord, I pray that if there's just one here today who has not yet placed their trust in you, that today would be their day of salvation. Maybe there's a person here in this congregation and you're saying, you know what, that, that's me. I haven't placed my trust in Jesus Christ. Let me, let me just share with you very briefly. Don't put it off. The time for decision is now. Let me encourage you to pray with me. Let me tell you, a prayer is not what saves you. But prayer is a way of being able to express your trust in Him, that which does save you, to your Heavenly Father. Lord, I recognize I'm a sinner. My thoughts, my words, my deeds, my trot, my... My pride, my jealousy, I've missed the mark. But I'm so thankful that you came and died on the cross for me. And even now, I place my trust in who you are, the God of the universe, and what you did, that you died for my sins, and you conquered death and rose from the dead. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just say, if you have any questions about what I spoke about, particularly what I spoke about in the beginning, how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, please come and see me afterwards or see one of the elders, and we would be glad to share with, that, with you. Um, Steve, I'm going to have you come up because I believe that you are going to share communion with us. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at fccsobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.